Man, thank you guys so much. Um, I'm, I'm starting to mourn a little bit as we reach the end of this because it's been such a sweet time. I want to actually also just give you a real quick one on the U.S. We obviously didn't talk much about that, but we actually have had some great uh, things over the course of this last year. Just relationally, we had a, a lead couples time in Nashville, Tennessee, and that was, you know, one of the first times we've been together in that way, um, really since the beginning uh, of, of Advanced North America. So that was really sweet. And then we've just come off the back of three uh, conferences in uh, North America, our hubs are the Eastern Hub, the Central Hub, and the Western Hub. And it was just an incredible time of being together in prayer. And there is just, I would say, across the board, just a lot of faith for what this next season will bring. And uh, it's not naive faith. It's not ignorant or unaware. Um, but I feel like there is a groundswell, and we're just excited about uh, what's going to happen. It was just so cool, too, because we had um, a, a lot of people go to the Eastern Hub that was hosted at One Harbor, and actually, when the Eastern Hub conference came up, and we would typically, like, call our church to it, I just thought, man, am I really going to try to call Monument to a conference for advance right now? I just, like, is that really going to work? And uh, we just said, you know what, let's, let's go for it. And, and we did, and we had almost 50 people actually travel down to that conference, and they were so blessed, and there was just so much faith in the room. And it really shows how at an ailing moment for a local church, the, the movement and these partnerships absolutely came alongside us, blew wind in our sails, and did something nothing else would have done like that. And so it was just such a great opportunity um, to, uh, to celebrate these things. And then one last thing is just, um, you know, we gave a little update on PJ and Ashley, and I just want to let you know they continue to attend Monument Church. Um, I'll be preaching on a Sunday, and there they are in the third row, and they've remained committed really to the family of Monument as their local community. So uh, that's just another testimony that we're really working on, trying to make sure that we uh, continue to attend to them, and they stay engaged, and, uh, and they do send their love. So speaking of love... Um, that is what I am going to talk about here. And actually, you know, I didn't know all of what Brian was going to talk about, but he had really touched love even in the midst of his charge uh, for discipleship. And so I want to kind of double-click on love. I want to unpack that for a moment because, I mean, yeah, how important is love? <laughs> how important is love to what we do? I mean, it's so important that actually in uh, John 13, 35, Jesus said this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they will know that actually you identify with me. And what, what it says there is all people, which I take to mean all people, and I take that to mean obviously all people who are not his disciples, Right? but also those who are his disciples. Because it's important for people who do not follow Jesus to like recognize us as distinct, right? Like, who are those people? They just have this love. They, they, they need to recognize us as distinct. But it's also important for people who follow Jesus um, actually to be able to identify us. So it's not just people who don't follow Jesus, but actually people who do follow Jesus have to know where they can find us. Because actually, we need to locate one another. We need to band together. We need to support one another and be able to find one another in a landscape where many people claim to be many things, right? 
People will even claim to be his disciples, but actually not exhibit this one most identifying characteristic. They may even exhibit other seemingly important characteristics, but, but not this one, the fundamental one, which is the one Jesus says, this is how you'll know. I mean, Matthew 7, there, there's that arresting, sobering passage where it says, you know, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons and done wondrous works? And he says, get away from me, I never knew you. I mean, it's a a frightening passage in many ways. Well, what, what, why? Well, because love seemed to be absent from that. But what is love, then, if it's that important to us, what does it look like? What is the simplest definition of love, or how, how can we sort of capture it in its most essential form in order to live it? And it just seems to me that This other verse, two chapters later, does it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, good, perfect. We know we need to have it to identify ourselves, and and this is what it looks like. That's what love looks like, giving up our lives for our friends. But when Jesus said friends, right, like he, he just thinks differently about everything, and we're just always kind of playing catch-up. We tend to think of, like, our BFF, you know, our best friend forever. Like, lay down your life for, for that person. Like Pete Cornford. Like, I love Pete Cornford. I mean, come on. I met, the first time I met Pete Cornford, he took me to an Arsenal game and, and out for a beer. Like, how, what's not to love? Pete, where are you? Where, where are you? Yeah. Pete, I love you. Then I spent, I, I stayed with Pete and Nikki, and <laughs> why did I mention, why did I mention Arsenal? Like, we're just, Alan just like, we, he left the building. But I spent time with Pete, and, and Pete likes good beer, and like, we just, we just gelled. We only spent a few times together, so good to see Pete, um, and we spent Zoom calls, and, and, and it's just, it's just easy to be warm and feeling self sacrificial toward Pete. <laughs> Howard Kellett. I'm not there yet. I'm not th- I mean, it's coming, Howard. <laughs> Thank you. You got to know this. Honestly, I took a dig at Howard at the Global Conference in South Africa. I literally had just met him, but there was something about him publicly in front of everybody that just, maybe it's just me. Is it just me that just feels like... <laughs> uh, what's not to dig? I got to say, and, and allow me a moment, because actually, like, I was, you know, joking. I wrote this in, into my little message here today. But, but, Howard, I really do think you're a unique gift to this group of people. Actually, I, I really believe that God wants you to bring the fun, bring the, the humor, and, and I just think uh, we, we need it, especially during these times. And we've all wrestled through stuff, but we need to laugh. And like, Howard, you make us laugh. <laughs> you really do. And yes, we're laughing at you sometimes. But I really, I really believe this is from God, Howard. Like, 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 find ways to just be who you are in the lightest and most humorous and, and life-giving uh, version of yourself, because actually it's a huge gift to us. And I don't even know you, but I know that. 
Yeah, bless you. But it's easy, right, to, to, to imagine being self-sacrificial for like the people in this room. But actually, this, this is not how Jesus saw friend or the people he would lay his life down for. I mean, he, he reveled in quite a diverse friend group, didn't he? Well, let's just take a look at Luke chapter 7, where, where he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He had a very diverse group of friends. <laughs> when he says friends, we've got to bend our minds to wrap it around what friend really means in terms of who we might lay our lives down for. Because actually, in, the, in the, the, the following verses, it's actually the story of the woman who poured the perfume on his feet, a sinner, a prostitute that he called friend. He would later lay down his life for her and every other terrible sinner who would put their faith in him. These are the people that Jesus considered friends. These are the people about whom he said the greatest form of love you can have is to lay down your life for them. That's so challenging, isn't it? I mean, I'm inclined to lay down my life for people I really like and are good to me and who agree with me and serve me. Like, I can throw them a bone. But, but love, as Jesus describes it, is, is just so much more than our trite notions of selfish affection we might have for those who treat us well. Real love is mind-blowing. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive. It's the greatest aim that we can have. But it is the thing that can really cost us if we do it right. Are you up for that kind of love? Are you teaching your churches that kind of love? I'm trying to think, like, have I been? Because it is in that costly kind of love that we are fully liberated into following Jesus wherever he wants us to go. In that love, we find life. He says in Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a variation on the theme. Lay down your life, die for love, and you will become fully alive. Okay, I'm convinced, but what, what does it look like? What does it look like? And I mean, really, we don't have to look any further than 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But the chapter that's been relegated to sort of weddings and, you know, it, it's, it's almost got of a hallmark tone at this point, doesn't it? It, it, it feels a bit saccharine. How did that happen? Like a passage of the Bible became sickeningly sweet? But we all know it. Many of us can recite it. And so I just want to start in, in verse 1. Because it really starts to unpack just what love is, what it isn't, and how important it is to keep it in front of us. Verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So this is crazy to me. I can be an amazing communicator and say all of the most poignant and beautiful and powerful things. Do I have any preachers in the room? 
Like, how important is communicating to you? Does, does communicating the gospel sometimes actually even become more important than love? It's hard because, can you separate the thing? Uh, evidently, evidently you can. Because if I preach the most wonderful sermon, and I, don't we love to do that? Yes, nailed it. But I, I don't lay my life down for others, even the most undeserving people. I'm literally, literally just making noise. That's how God sees it. Verse 2, it says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. It's like, what? How did we get here? Because aren't those things really important? I mean, this is the one that really gets us Christians, I think. I mean, especially we charismatic ones, right? Because sometimes we can think this is the greatest aim of following Jesus, to have miraculous powers and sort of profound revelation such that people marvel at our power and extraordinary grasp of the mysteries of God, that we can tell people we've never met before the intimate details of their lives by wisdom and knowledge, you know, granted by the Spirit, and raise people from the dead. And wouldn't that be it? Like, wouldn't that be the thing? And yet, no doubt, this is a, a vital form of witness. There's no question about that. I mean, the Corinthians were actually obsessed with these things. Because, you know, chapter 13 comes in between chapter 12 and 14, which is all about the gifts and all of that stuff. But he just hits a hard pause in the middle of it and says, but by the way... As we address this stuff, and it's all good stuff, and we're all excited about it, and let's keep going for it, chapter 13, if in the midst of it you don't have love, man, we're in trouble. And Paul is saying, echoing the words of Jesus, that's not what this is all about. It's all tangled up together, but if it's absent of love, we'll miss it. Then here, Paul, in the next verse, and this is just, it's mind-blowing because he goes after another misconception. He actually says, hey, if you think it's about extreme generosity or even dying a noble death, if you think those are the most virtuous, purest expressions of our Christian faith, you've actually got it wrong. Verse 3 says, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. No, but how is that true? That surely you don't mean it that way. He says you can be a philanthropist or a martyr, and it still doesn't mean you have love. (laughs) Just challenged. I mean, those things will literally buy you nothing in God's eyes if you have not love. But aren't those things love? I mean, giving away all that you have, isn't that an extreme form of love? Evidently not. It doesn't have to be. Paul is saying that you can do those, those very things and still be absent of love. Because a vain expression of what we think is holy is absolutely useless in God's kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Adjust my heart. We've been talking about heart adjustment, haven't we? And isn't this where it all sort of begins? 
is just massaging these places of our hearts that have become cold or hard. So if this is really getting us, then we have to just ask, okay, what is it? What is this love that is the pinnacle of achieving Jesus, if not those things? I mean, you're saying that the, the most powerful spiritual expressions are not proclaiming the words of angels or prophetic and miraculous powers. It's not the vast knowledge and revelation of mysteries or even extraordinary faith. It's not generosity or some glorious death. Then what is it? Help us. And he goes on to tell us what outdoes those things. It's a love that looks like this. And this is it. This is the pinnacle of it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And just think about those words in light of the current atmosphere around the world. Oh, man. It does not insist on its own way. That one hurts. It is not irritable or resentful. Okay, stop. I, I, can't, I can't hear anymore. I just can't because... Let's keep going. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Those, are, those expressions of who Jesus is obliterates those other things. doesn't make them... not valuable, doesn't dismiss the things that came before, but just these simple, non-miraculous, non-glorious, virtually impossible things to actually do and be. Love is salvation, but it is often reduced to just some trite notion. What the world needs now (laughs) is love. I'm not a singer, but... Love, sweet love, or you've lost that love and feed. I mean, it's like you, when you think about the love of Jesus in light of Burt Bacharach or the Everly Brothers, you're just kind of like, how pathetic. That's not love. Think of all the love songs that are out there. They're not about love. I mean, they're about one expression, one very narrow expression. We just need to understand what love is. So I mentioned that we had these conferences over the course of, the, uh, of North America in all of our hubs. And actually, I'll just show you our little, this is our branding moment, prophetic church. Sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, come on. We want to be prophetic. Actually, I can make fun of it a little bit because Alan and I came up with it. We like naming stuff. Alan names everything. Alan actually has, at one point he had a devotional with his kids and he had a name for that. It was called Digging In, right? Yeah, I remember that. We're like, Al, you named the device. He loves naming everything. So he and, I, he and I got together and just a few months ago, and we said, like, well, what's the theme in North America? Well, what should we make the theme? The prophetic church. And it, like, it's got teeth, doesn't it? It's like a little mysterious. It's kind of enigmatic. And I have this very prophetic couple in our church who acted, they're really gifted. And they were like, we saw that, and we were definitely going. And let's face it, we were kind of trying to sell the sizzle here. We're like, uh, all right, how do we get people to the conference? And then there's nothing wrong with it. Prophecies in the Bible. We love it. Pretty spiritual. Kind of mysterious. And it probably sells better than like if we had called it the loving church. 
I mean, really, like, I, I probably would have gotten half a monument to that conference. The lo- oh, that's a, okay. The love, yeah, loving. Let's go back to prophetic. I mean, if Alan and I didn't test this one, but it probably would have wound up on the cutting room floor. I don't know. It just doesn't have the kind of chutzpah that prophetic church does. It just kind of tells you, okay, wait a second. We've got to reorient. It's not milk toast. It's, it, it, it doesn't sound powerful and mysterious. I mean, it sounds more like something that would be embroidered on a pillow, right? <laughs> <laughs> not emblazoned. I don't know if you can see it, but that's actually like a post-apocalyptic cityscape in the back there. Credit to Ryan Marshall for coming up with the design. Now, that's got, that's got teeth. But the truth is, <laughs> they're, not intercha- they're, not, they're not mutually exclusive. We don't have to choose one over the other. And yet, we've got to reorient and re-understand. I mean, the most prophetic thing we can do is love. And the good news is that the world is in great need of the kind of love we have to offer. As people have become pitted against each other in politics and religion and race and public health and climate and sexual ethics and whatever else you want to throw in there, we can transcend these things with love. What an amazing opportunity we have. What a gap we can fill. Not to power play it or win arguments or fight for what we are entitled to. What an opportunity not to join the chorus of social media jabs and rants and ill will and bickering to blow the whole thing up actually with love. I mean, it even sounds silly when I say it, doesn't it? But it's exactly what he's called us to do. What a great opportunity we have right now to be patient and kind, to be envious, not boastful, to to not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. What a moment to not insist on our own way or be irritable or resentful. If we do this, we will stick out like sore thumbs, won't we? It is just like standard operating procedure. And I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies, which is a challenging word, but I've watched Christians hating each other over their mask policy. Like, how did that happen? He's, he was like, no, 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 you, you got to mask. I'm talking about loving somebody who might have killed someone you love. How have you been embroiled in a six-month mask war? <laughs> just, guys... He, he wants to help us do better. He can help us do better. I, I'm simple, right? So I got to see it sort of in black and white. So I made this little chart, right? <laughs> this is love. <laughs> Those are good things. Ah, yes. Patient, kind, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And hello, this is not love. I mean, I just think we got to return to the fundamentals here. (laughs) Envious, boastful, arrogant, not love. Rude, when you're rude to somebody, you're not doing the love thing. Again, I just think we've got to get back to it. Insistent 
Oh, so many people have become so insistent in this day and age, haven't we? He's just saying insistent. He's not even saying insistent about what? Just the insistence that so many of us have. Irritable. Fortunately, none of us struggle with irritable, I'm sure. But irritable, it's actually not loving. Resentful, rejoicing at wrong. I'm sorry if this is too parochial for you, but I just feel like we need to be reminded of what love is and what love isn't. So how do we love? Like, how do we love so completely, unreservedly, and thoroughly in a way that lets people know who we are? That's how they'll know who you are. How does it provide a a living message for a watching world? What does it look like? I mean, gosh, Jesus isn't here anymore. We can't see the way he lived. And we read about it, and that's good. But, like, I think we need pictures. I think think we're supposed to be pictures for the people in our churches. What a gift. But also there's another picture. Okay, so who... I really want to do a poll here because I have an impression there are a lot of people in the room who may not know who this gentleman is. So I, really, I want you to answer, answer honestly. Who knows who Ted Lasso is? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. So this is not, it, it actually takes place in the UK. It's a TV show. And it's actually about a college football coach who gets hired by a Premier League soccer team to become their coach. He knows nothing about soccer. I mean, it's an absolutely hilarious uh, show. And, and he gets hired, actually, to kind of screw it up. Because who would hire a guy who knows nothing about soccer to coach a Premier League soccer team? Football. Yeah, I'm supposed to say football. <laughs> we say soccer. And by the way, I'm going to ask for a lot of forgiveness right now. I know nothing about football. I really, you're just going to have to forgive me. But what's interesting about this is you can see... I always love to just pay attention to what people are watching. What do people care about? What are people talking about? What's in the ether? I was a filmmaker myself for 15 years, and I just know that actually when you see people drawn to and attracted to things, that it's indicative, it's telling of what it is that they are thinking, what they need. And I don't know if you can see it here, but it's written in cursive. It says, kindness is making a comeback. Well, the hook on this whole show is that he doesn't know anything about soccer, but he, football, but he's incredibly kind. He actually, can you imagine, in the midst of a Premier League football team, he's just super kind. You can start to get the humor of this, right? And I got to admit, if you're going to watch it, there's a lot of bad language in this, I mean, unsurprisingly. And, and he doesn't use it. He's, he's, just, he's just kind, and it's just interesting because so many people, probably about a year ago or so, when this show launched, they were just drawn to this person of Ted Lasso because he's just so kind. No matter what people throw at him, he's kind. And I think it's best captured in this news headline. It says, thank God for Ted Lasso, the man America needs right now. <laughs> Fair enough, Howard. But I read that and I was like, gosh, that tells you something. And I think it's true, but it's not true. Like, it's not true. 
It's not true. What the world needs now is Christians. That's what the world needs. It needs a picture of loving kindness that blows their minds away and comforts them in an uncomfortable time. That's why they're drawn to Ted Lasso. That's, that's the call, the invitation, the opportunity, the reorientation that we and all of the people in all of our churches need to make right now. And why is that? This is another headline. I just think this one kind of captures it. I didn't say that terrible word. That was a headline. But isn't it true there's just so much anger? (laughs) People are just so frustrated. Like to encounter kindness, to encounter loving kindness, to encounter the, the loving kindness of Jesus... I mean, it is, a, it is a cold drink of water in a parched land. I, I think it's best captured by this quote. I don't know if you've read, read Gentle and Lowly. It's been kind of making the rounds. Dane Ortland says this, Only as we walk ever deeper into his tender kindness can we live the Christian life as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake, everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. What we deserve has become center stage. What we're entitled to is the thing we are fighting for not love. And so we have a chance to reset. And really, what seems to compete with our love more than anything than what we deserve? Our entitlements. The things that if I don't get, I actually have less ability to give to others. Oh man, I'm grateful Jesus didn't see it that way. He was entitled to everything and got nothing. His rights were immeasurable and he gave them all up for our sake. That kind of love is what dwells on the inside of us by his spirit. But we need it to come out. We need it to come out. I'll end with this. A friend called me. As I was getting ready for this trip, it was the Saturday before the Sunday that I left out. I was preaching two services, and I was packing, and I was, had all this stuff on my mind, and I'm leading this church that was kind of dropped in my lap, and I'm just like, what? everything is crazy. And my friend calls, and, and, and my wife saw it come up on my phone, and, and she said, oh, your friend is calling. And he's my friend who's going through a divorce. And I said, oh, just hit ignore. I don't have time to talk to him right now. And I was like, I was actually preaching on friendship on Sunday. <laughs> How does this happen? I, stupid, stupid, stupid. So I called him back and he said, man, thanks for calling me. I just needed somebody, I just needed to hear somebody's voice. And I think the world is calling and Christians are hitting ignore. And we have an opportunity to just turn, just repent, just turn around and walk into what he's invited us into. So I'd actually just like to call Blake up, and we've got a few more minutes before we have lunch at 1 o'clock. But you know, I came alive when I went to my first charismatic church. I was in a Methodist church for a while, and I, I thought, they're doing it. I've read about this. 
And we've all been to the services, probably many, time and time again, where we actually come up and we, 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 we get prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. But I don't think I've ever been in an environment where I've come up to be filled with the Spirit of love. It's all the spirit of all those things, but actually, we need to be filled and stirred, and we need to have this thing that actually Dane Ortland talks about. We need to drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ. And I love it. I want to continue to grow and practice prophecy and tongues and healing and miraculous powers and raising people for the dead, because actually, all of those things are an expression of love. But I would actually love for us now to just take a moment and pray for one another that would be filled with the spirit of love and that we could take that back to our congregations, that that could fill our mouths and whatever it is that we're saying. Because many of us, I would guess the majority, myself included, have just lost that, not loving feeling, but loving revelation. And you can see it in our lives. I know some people here actually just have a grace. You're just loving and kind. Or you just feel like God's helping you right now. We won't think you're arrogant, but we need some people to pray for other people. Like if you feel like, I totally get what he's saying. I resonate with it. I would love to pray for people to be filled with the spirit of love. Then I would just ask you guys to come up to the front. We're not going to think that you're presumptuous or arrogant. We're just going to thank God that he helped you so you can help us. I didn't pull a ministry team together. I don't know who needs prayer or who can pray, but can we do that right now? Can we just take this last 10 minutes or so and come up and and confess? Yeah, I haven't been loving. This happened or that happened or I didn't do this. And, And then just bask in the kindness of Christ that we would be refilled. Can we do that right now? I'm just gonna pray and then I'll I'll call us to it. Father, we thank you so much for your loving kindness. And we repent of just neglecting its beauty and its value and being incarnate versions of it because we know that you're there and you're able and you're willing to pour it out into us if we should just ask. So I pray that actually you give us a special time right now of meeting us in this. We're hungry for it, Lord. We're desperate for it, Lord. We need it, Lord, and the world needs it through us. So I just pray that you would come. Help us to unburden our souls for what has caused us not to be unloving. We've had these words about being locked up, about being trapped, about it just seems that we've retreated, Father, and you've sent us. We recited this wonderful liturgy, his love endures forever. Fill us right now with that love.